ready to hear the word? Amen. At this time, we'll ask Detective Sergeant Bailiff James Neal to come and bring us the word. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John, the fourth chapter. And this is the story of the woman at the well. And this is a, by the way, this is a true story. This is not a parable. This is not a metaphor. This is not an example. This is not a fictional story. This is a real, live, honest-to-goodness story that happened. And I've got a real good theological, really big point I want to make somewhere in this sermon. I know it's got to be there. And if I forget to do that, y'all remind me before I leave here today. I got this big point I want to make. Anyway, in the fourth chapter, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed into Galilee. Now, uh, last week Greg so wonderfully told us about that competitive spirit in the earth. We can't, we can't win souls that way. We can't do anything good for God that way. But here we find the Pharisees are doing what the Pharisees always do. They are keeping score. They are working the numbers. They are seeing who, the who's who is going where and when and how much credit they're going to get and how much benefit they're going to get. And so, anyway, that competitive spirit is in the earth today. And what did Jesus do? Rather than become a part of that, he turns and he goes away from all of that. He leaves that behind. He leaves Judea. And he's going to go to Galilee where there is pretty much a revival going on. A lot of things happening there. And uh, most of the, a lot of the miracles took place. The Sermon on the Mount, the transfiguration of Jesus. Of Jesus. Uh, a lot of good things were happening. But on the way, something happened. A change came. It says in verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. I like the way, I'm reading from the King James, by the way. I'm not through with the King James Version yet. I like the way this reads. We don't talk this way as a, as a rule. But he said, he must needs go through Samaria. So uh, he, they go right through Samaria. But normally when people went from Judea to Galilee, they would detour around. And you know why they would detour around? Because they despised the Samaritans. They didn't like them. They didn't want to be associated with them. They didn't want anything to do with them. And it wasn't because they had an opposite religion than the Jewish faith at the time. It's just that they were kind of different in their beliefs. Have you ever run across somebody who was different in their belief than you? But they named the name of Jesus. I have. I remember God put me up against a guy one time when I was in the army. Man, my memory's going back. That was 1966. And I know, I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't remember who I talked to yesterday, but I can remember something that happened 
1966. And this guy, he was just starting out to walk with the Lord just, just as I was. But I thought I knew a little bit. I've been, I had, I had seniority. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I've been saved a little bit longer than he had. And, and he had some of the craziest ideas. But you know what? He loved the Lord. But we wouldn't be talking five minutes and we'd get into an argument about something. So I had to go by and pick him up. Well, actually, I rode the bus. I don't know why I had to do that except that God wanted me to. So I would go and, and get him and we'd go to church together and I'd listen to his ideas, his weird ideas. And one day I was going to church, and he was over here in this barracks, and I just kind of looked this way and just kind of walked on like maybe God wouldn't notice, you know. And I got on down the road a ways, and God was dealing with me. And so I said, okay, 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 I'll go back and get the dude. So I go back, and I get him, and sure enough, he starts in, you know. But he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. And that went on a while, and finally he drifted away. And, and over the years, I've had many occasions like that. And these people were annoying, these Samaritans. They were annoying and pesky to the Jewish people of the day. And they just wouldn't cooperate. They wouldn't do right. They wouldn't believe they were the way they were supposed to believe. But Jesus said, Other sheep have I which are not of this fold. Jesus said that one time. Because of James and John, who were going to call down fire on them. You know, one time the, some people left our church many, many, many years ago. And it was really grievous, and it hurt me. And I got down to pray about it. And I started to say something about this church because this church over there, they were just built. They were really growing and increasing, and they were on TV, and everything was going great. And it seemed like we were struggling, and they were just flourishing. And I started to say something, and just as I opened my mouth to say something, God interrupted me and said, that's none of your business. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Not that I was going to say anything. Uh, moving right along, Lord. So anyway, that was the problem. People would detour and go around Samaria because they didn't want anything to do with these people. But what did Jesus do? He delayed his journey to a revival, and he stops in the middle of nowhere. And he stops at a well. And uh, and the Bible says they come to us, the city of Sychar near the parcel of ground that Joseph, Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Joseph's well was there. Jesus there, therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Jesus was weary. And we also find out that the disciples went into town to buy food. Well, why couldn't Jesus just be unweary? And why couldn't he just say, okay, food appear? Well, He's son of God, but he's son of man. He came as a man as well. And he allowed that vulnerability in his life. You see what I'm saying? He was weary. You know, when he was a baby, his mama had to take care of him, had to change him, had to nurse him, had to protect him when he was a, an infant. Yeah, he came as, he was God in the flesh, but he came as a man. So he sits down, and it says in verse 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. 
Okay. I was a detective for about 16 years. And I can, I think I can safely say that I read narratives every day. I guess every day or almost every day. And I trained myself when reading a narrative to look for the timeline, to look for the sequence of events. I always did that. Because somewhere along the way, that was going to be an issue. And when I didn't find the sequence right, then I started looking for the problem. Because it has to make sense. And if it didn't make sense to me, it wasn't going to make sense to anybody. And, and I, I'm not telling you to read the Bible like a technical manual. Although, if you need help in any area of life, ask God. Where's Joe Duncan? Joey, hello, Joey. One time Joey was telling us about he had a problem with a car. Remember that? You had a problem with a car, and you just couldn't get it worked out, and you don't know what you were going to do. And he went and prayed. And God, I don't remember how that worked out, but whatever it did, God helped you with that problem. That was a technical problem. So, yeah, I don't read the Bible as a technical manual, but if I need technical help, or if I need wisdom in some area of life, I can go to the book of Proverbs. Or if I need a song, I can go to the Psalms. Or if I want to read something that's absolutely phenomenal and fantastic that I recommend to anybody, one of the books of the Bible is the book of Deuteronomy. Get that book out and read it. Read chapter 8, read chapter 28. Read the whole thing, and it'll tell you about the blessings of God and what God expects. It tells you everything you need to know. He says, the Lord God is one Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, about this time, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. So when I'm reading this, I see that, now here's how I see it. I can't help but see it this way. Jesus arrived. His disciples went into town. And subsequently, the woman arrives. That puts Jesus at the scene. Excuse me. If I use that terminology. That puts Jesus at the scene. How long do you think he sat there and waited for her? Hmm, how long do you think that happened? A minute? Is that what the Son of God does? Does he sit and wait on us? I'm going to say yes. I mean, he waited, I don't know, he waited for, let's just pick somebody. He waited for Moses to walk by and see that bush that was burning. He waited for Moses he waited for him to stretch forth the rod so the waters of the Red Sea would, would open up. He waited, uh, he waited for Gideon to uh, downsize his army so that God could get some glory out of that great victory. He, he, waited, uh, he waited for me. I know that. He waited for every person in this room he waited for. Suppose you had... Suppose you had an audience with the President of the United States and you've got 15 minutes to tell him what your special interest is and you get caught in traffic. 
that cell phone. Hey, tell him I'm going to be there in a few minutes. It's just, and then if I can get a parking place, I'll be right there. If I'm a few minutes late, just hold on. You think he's going to wait for you? But do you think the Son of God would wait for you? I know I'm making a big deal out of this, but it just struck me when I read it. You mean to tell me the Son of God is just sitting there? The King of glory, the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of glory, is sitting at this dusty well waiting on a lady to arrive, and we never even got her name. We never even knew her name. And so he's waiting. Just waiting. I don't know of anyone else who was there at the time. And the time of day is kind of unusual. It wasn't totally unheard of, but it wasn't exactly something that you would do that time of day. You see, this is what we call a divine appointment. I think I said that last time I preached. The first time I think I ever heard that term was Yvette said that, a divine appointment. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew where he was. He knew about that meeting with that woman before the foundation of the world. And when I prayed about this sermon, and I asked God, oh God, help me, help me to understand. And I felt like the Lord said, well, who better to ask than me? I'm the one who was there. I mean, if you want to know, we could do that in other cases in life. After all, he's the one that wrote the book. It's his word. It's in red letters. I can prove it. He says to her, Give me a drink. Why does God do that? He wanted her to put God first because he was God's representative. Amen. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Let's see now. He has... Gone into hostile territory. He didn't stop and keep going before something happened. He stopped right smack dab in the middle of hostile territory. And let's see what else he does. He sits down at this well and he waits for someone to arrive. This was a planned deal by God. This was a divine sting operation. This was God going to do something for somebody. And you and I are going to talk about it about 2,000 years later. It's still a reality. And so, not only that, but then he further breaks all cultural boundaries and he addresses this Samaritan who is a woman unattended unchaperoned, and he asked her for a drink of water. And she's wanting to know why. What are you, what's up with you? Why are you, you don't, you shouldn't be talking to me. We're, we're different cultures. You, you know, God's going to bring us all together, friends. And Jesus answered and said, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith 
unto thee give me a drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. I want to, I want to call this well the well of living water. That's the name of this well today, the well of living water. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From, from which then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? The answer to that would be yes. One scripture said before Abraham was, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And then he said in another place, Abraham he saw my day. He rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. So, yes, he is greater. But she says something here. She says the well is deep. Little did she know the profound statement that she was making because of the depth. You know, I believe that God has placed within us a deep, capacity for him I believe that God has put within us and I'm I'm going to call it that well within us that God has put a well within us and that well can only be satisfied by the presence of God and the living water of God there's no other there's nothing else that will satisfy nothing else will work there's always a gnawing emptiness. Have you ever met up with someone who was thirsty for God, but they didn't know what it was? Until you came along and you began to talk to them as a servant of God. Not that you have all the answers, but you come along as the servant of God. And you begin to, you pick up on this and you begin to share with them the word of the Lord and the gospel. And they may have lived in this country all their life and never heard what you're saying. It just went over them. They never really heard it until the Spirit of the Lord begins to deal with them. I was raised in a Christian home. My mother and my grandmother were godly people, and they prayed for me constantly. And I knew what it was to have prayer in our home. I got in trouble one time. Mom's going to spank me. And she was going to spank me after we had prayer at 10 o'clock in the morning. I was about five years old. And so I thought, well, I knew what to do. I'm going to, I'm going to get down. I'm going to pray up a storm. And, and I'm going to get, I'm going to get some, I'm going to get spiritual. I'm going to pray. And I did. And you know what? She spanked me anyway. Yeah. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Paul said, no, you're not, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, no, you're not, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit which lives in you. That's because God created that within us. And before I got, before I got saved, even though I was in this Christian home, there was this gnawing emptiness and loneliness, and I was, I was coming to a point, I didn't know, I didn't realize it was, it was all coming to a head. I was 18 years old. And, and God was dealing with me. And, and I didn't know it. I didn't realize it. And I began to think about repenting, and I, but I didn't, really, I didn't really connect the dots. I thought about getting close to God, but I still didn't realize what was happening until one day the Lord, I guess I could say the Lord appeared to me. I know I've said this before, Alan. 
But I was coming back from Korea, and I, I stopped in San Francisco, and then I took a bus to Dallas, and about somewhere out in the middle of nowhere in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in that area, the bus stopped out by some, I don't know, a clearing in the road. And this lady gets on. It ought to be against the law to be as happy as that lady was, you know. And I was sitting there, and I'd been toting around a pint of whiskey in my pocket. I was disheveled. I was a disgrace to the U.S. Army. I had a uniform on. I looked awful. I hadn't shaven. I was bleary-eyed. And the night before, I was just, we were riding along, and I was looking out the window, and I'd been reading a book about Count Dracula, my favorite reading material. And just all of a sudden, I was lost. I mean, you couldn't have announced it to me. Any, The Spirit of God just slammed me with, you're lost. And I began to weep uncontrollably on this bus. They thought I was crazy. I probably was. And all night long, I just, I thought I was lost forever and that it was too late for me. And then I started remembering all the things that mom had said and all the the church service that I've been to, the revivals, the revivals that I've been to, those used to really scare me, those revivals where they had sawdust on the floor and they were talking about healing the sick and raising the dead. And, you know, I'm, I was hiding, you know, me and sister hid down on the floor. But anyway, uh, all of a sudden, this went on for hours and hours and hours. I'm in this, I'm begging God for mercy. And this lady gets on the bus. And, of course, there's only one seat on the whole bus available. And that was the one next to me. She just walks down the aisle. Everything's cool with her. Oh, may I sit here? She sits down, and I recognized, I'm talking about it now, but I didn't know it then. I recognized she was like my mom, the same spirit. How many mothers are here today? I'm going to tell you something. The devil is scared of you. When you start speaking the names of your children, I did some bad things. But it didn't make no difference. When you start speaking their names to God, when you speak their names out loud, God save my child. God deliver my son, my daughter, my grandchildren. When you do that, I believe God hears that. I believe that all of heaven hears that. I believe the powers of darkness hears it. But you know what? They're going to hear it again and again until it happens. Hallelujah. We're going to pursue God. Wherever it takes us, we're going to pursue Him and the answer to the need in our lives. I know they prayed for me because I didn't get away with nothing. I knew right from wrong. I just didn't know the Lord Jesus for myself. And I told her. I just started talking to her, like right in the middle of a sentence. She's just sitting there so serene, happy. And here I am, a wreck. It's amazing how you can make a mess of your life by 18. And I said, but I've sinned. I've gone too far. 
He said, well, Jesus said he would forgive us 70 times 7. Let's see, how many is that? <laughs> you know, and she ministered to me. And then the bus stopped a little while later in some other remote place, and she got off. And I had hope. And when I got home, I went and told my mom. And the next morning, we went to church, or we were going to go to church. And all of a sudden, and we didn't have a car. We were going to have to walk. My dad was still in the military, and he was stationed. And we started to leave the house, and a torrential rainstorm hit. Well, let me tell you something. I was going to get saved. I don't care. I was going to go to church. I don't know why we had it. we had to work it out that way. I'm not sure. But I was going to go to church. I had determined in my heart to go to church, and I was going to give my heart to the Lord. So it can just rain all it wants to. I don't care. I'm going to the house of God. Ain't nothing going to stop me. Rain a little bit harder. Is that all you got? And it stopped. So we went, and I went up, and I gave my heart to the Lord. And I I had, let's see, about a million pounds lifted off my back. But I couldn't. So the next week, I... There was something missing. There was something yet. For one thing, I had habits I couldn't quit. And I didn't feel like I could be what God wanted me to be. I I don't know. I just wanted more from the Lord. So next Sunday, I go to church. And the preacher is preaching. And he's praying for people. And I go down. And he lays hands on me. Man. Lord, I don't know. It was like if you could liquefy joy and pour it on yourself. That's what happened. God filled me with the Holy Spirit. And not only did He do that, He delivered me from a violent temper. And He delivered me from habits that I couldn't quit. I'm not criticizing anybody. A few days later, I walked into a room, and there was a package of cigarettes sitting there, just all ready. All I had to do was partake. I've been smoking since I was 12. I looked at it just for a second. I said, devil, you're going to have to do better than that. I ain't falling for that. And I had this great big giant Bible my grandmother gave me. And the reason I liked it is because it had lots of pictures in it. And them real neat pictures. I always like me and my sister used to get them out and look at them pictures. And I thought, well, I guess I better start reading it. And start reading the Word of God. And God helped me. And God began to help me to grow. You know, 
there's within us a capacity for God, and there ain't nothing else going to fill that. That gnawing emptiness and loneliness. And even now, after having walked with the Lord all these years, sometimes I get busy, and I get involved in things, and my schedule gets busy. And before you know it, I, I haven't really feasted in the Word, and I haven't really prayed like I should. And I began to feel that gnawing emptiness and loneliness for the things of God. And i got to go back. Nothing else will work. Going fishing won't work. Watching TV, sports, nothing else will work but the Spirit of the Lord and the presence of Jesus in our life. What's behind all this? What's, what's the motivating force that caused Jesus to come to this woman, to sit there at that well and wait for her however long he waited? I don't know. What was the motivation for that? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's the incredible love of God. Everything seems to evolve around that. Everything seems to be built upon that. The great, wonderful love of God. And in the third chapter of John, Jesus talks about it in probably one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible, uh, Psalms 23 and John 3.16. In the third chapter, Jesus talks about and teaches about the God's love. And he said, for God so loved, God loved so. God so loved who? Just uh, Jewish people? No. Uh, Americans because we're citizens? No. Uh, does, he just, does he just love a certain people here and there? No. He loves all people. God so loved the world. Anywhere you go, you're going to find somebody that qualifies for his love. Because everybody does. And in in the, the day of Israel, he loved Israel. There was something special going on. And he said, the Lord did not set his love upon you or choose you because you were more in number. He said, no, you were fewer. This was Israel at the time. He said, but you are the fewest, but be, the, the Lord set his love upon you, his affection upon you, because the Lord loved you. Isn't that something? That's the motivation. It wasn't because you gave a big offering or you had some great skill or gift that could contribute to the work of the Lord. It wasn't that. It's because he just plain loved you. Whether you did anything good or not. You may be tall, skinny, intelligent, not so intelligent, qualified, unqualified, skilled, unskilled. It doesn't make any difference. You may be able to read or not read and write or not be able to read and write. You may not be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, but it doesn't seem to make any difference with God. He loves you anyway. And he's going to do what it takes to get you saved. My mom told me that they used to live on a farm, Mom and Mama and Lloyd and Floyd, her younger twin brothers, and Aunt Lou and Jack. My grandfather wasn't in the picture. They all lived on a farm. They were country folk. 
And the reason I know they were country folk was two reasons. One, they had an outhouse. <laughs> and the other is they had a well, a real live, honest goodness well. <laughs> I thought you would like that. <laughs> and this farm was down in Purvis. Anybody here know where Purvis is? Well, see, I didn't know that until we moved down here. Cindy and I, one time we drove down and we ran across a little town called Dublin. And I remember my mom talking about Dublin all the time because my my mom talked about it because mom played basketball at school and Purvis played Dublin all the time. They were big rivals back in the day. Oh, it was like the Redskins and the Cowboys. You know, it was big rivals. And so anyway, and mom said, we were talking about, and they had central heat. The fireplace was centrally located in this little farm shack. And mom said, mom said that about that well, she said, yeah, that's, it's hard work. Got a, a rope that pulled that bucket up. And, and, and then sometimes she got all serious. And then sometimes a skunk gets in there. Ooh, I had fun with that. I said, well, tell me about that. I was making fun. I was just trying to have fun. Well, what'd you do? What? How did you deal with that? And all she would say to me is it was a mess. That's all she'd say. It was a mess. And, and she got serious, and she wasn't as near as uh, thinking it was as amusing as I did. And so she said it's a mess. Speaking of skunk, several years ago, now, my great big theological point is coming up. So anyway, several years ago, my son-in-law was out the house, and we crawled up underneath the cabin, and I was going to do some work. And and I was under there with my tape measure, and I was doing what I always do. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, I was measuring, and I'm going to route this over here and change this plumbing over here. And, and I happened to notice the dog down at the far end down there, and she was shaking her head, and I thought, that's kind of odd. Why would she be doing that? See, because me and Joe and the dog were under the under the, the cabin, and the scuttle hose about that big. And this little round boy had a hard time getting through that under ideal circumstances. Well, and then I, I heard Joe say, I see something. And then he said those words that will live in infamy. It's a skunk. I didn't want to hear that. I, I didn't want to hear that. And so... You know, I may be a little overweight sometimes, but I can put them, pick them up and put them down when necessary, when push comes to shove. The only problem is you got to get a picture of Joe and that dog and me, all three trying to get out that scuttle hole at the same time. It wasn't a pretty sight. Now, granted, I'm a nice fellow normally. And I believe in sacrificing myself, and I believe in putting the other man first and, and, and giving place and all that, except there's one exception. And that is, if you're under the house with a mad skunk in hot pursuit, doing what mad skunks do, as far as I'm concerned, it's every man for himself. Come on now. We'll sort out the Christian details when we get on the other side. You know, I mean, and I got a confession to make, and I know I'm going to feel better. If I could have, I'd have grabbed Joe by the leg and pulled him out of the way, but he was moving too fast. You know, they say that, they say that in those, 
emergency situations, your life passes before you. Well, I can't say my whole life passed before me, but I'll tell you what did pass before me was that I wonder if there's a door in the house that I can sneak in that my wife won't know I'm there. I'm going to be spending the next several nights camping out, if you know what I mean. Oh, you don't believe me? Ask Mrs. Neal, she'll tell you. Now, here's my big theological point that I've got to make today. And it's this. You've got to get the skunk out of your life. You've got to get the skunk out of your well. The Holy Spirit belongs there. The living water belongs there. The presence of God belongs there. And nothing else. No other power. No other God. No other affection that is above God. None. Only the Lord God. He said, I'm a jealous God. You will have no other gods before me. We've got to get the skunk out of our homes out of our marriages, out of our relationships, out of our jobs, out of our computers. Anybody catch that? Out of our TV, out of every part of our life, we've got to get the skunk out. And we've got to be filled with the Spirit and the presence of Almighty God. Now, I'm going to tell you one more story. And close this message today. But the Lord brought something back to my, my memory. And this, and I know it was for today. I feel like the Spirit of the Lord shared this with me. But I was, when I was in the Army, I was an infantry soldier. And one day, quite unexpectedly, they made me a chaplain's assistant. So I worked for the chaplain. And one day, I was out in front of the chapel. And the chapel was right here. There was a road. And there was a big field. And right around the corner was a, a building over there. And it was a nightclub. And it was called the Pit. Appropriately named. It was called the Pit. And so, anyway... I looked, I looked up the road. I was outside for some reason. And allow me just a little plus or minus leeway here because I might forget some detail. But looking up the road, I saw a lady walking down the road. Can I hold this just a moment? Please. I promised to bring it right back. And she had a purse kind of like this. And she was well-dressed, classy lady, high heels. It just looked odd, someone walking down the street. Emma, I promise I'll bring this right back. I'm not, I can't get far. And as she's walking, she's bowed over. And this purse is like this. Can you see her? Can you see her in your mind? Well-dressed, and she's just walking like this. Well, being the highly trained professional that I was, I could tell something was wrong. And so 
I watched as she continued to walk. And she got up to where the chapel was, where I, where I was. And when she got there, she looked up. I was at, on the steps of the chapel. She looked up. And it was kind of like, oh, a chapel. Because she was walking like she had no purpose. You ever seen anybody walk like that? And and she asked. After a moment, she asked. I don't. I don't know if I said something to her, but at any rate, she asked if the chaplain was there. And he was. And this chaplain was belonged to the Brethren denomination. Wonderful people. They were like the Bereans. Wonderful people. He was a highly trained, highly educated man, and he was a soul winner. And he used to minister to people in his office. And he, he uh, told me one time, that chair right there, that's where I have him sit. He said, I've led a lot of people in the, to the Lord sitting in that chair. And so I said, yes, ma'am, I'll go get him. So this is pretty much all I had to do with this, but I don't think I'll get any credit for it, but a little bit. I went up and told the chaplain, well, there's a lady here to see you. Something's wrong. And he comes out, and he's another one of those people that he's just smiling. Yes, ma'am, how can I help you? Just like that lady on the bus, just happy as he could be. And she walked up the steps and went into his office. And she was in there about an hour and a half. And when she came out, she was standing up straight. Her countenance was different. And she walked and left as she had a purpose in life. And the chaplain, he didn't, he didn't violate her privacy or talk about what they talked about, but the, the sum and substance of it was they had, her marriage was, um, destroyed. They had gone and done the bar scene and the pit was a frequent place to be. And she was on the way to take her life. She had no hope. There was nothing else left. There were no more tears. You know what? She was the same woman just two millennia later. Because what Jesus did when he spoke to that woman, he said, go tell your, cu- your husband to come here. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you've said rightly, because you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. You see what Jesus did? It wasn't cruel. He began to minister to her. He touched that pain in her life. She no doubt had as a younger woman, she no doubt had hopes and dreams of love and being loved, of a dowry, of, of many children, and maybe even at some point to be a respected matriarch of the family. And here her life is a virtual train wreck. So here's this woman who had no purpose, who had nothing left in life but to go out to the well at the hottest part of the day. I mean, after all, misery is misery. And now, not only does she have a new hope and a new purpose in life, but she's already bearing fruit. It's never too late to begin to bear fruit for the Lord. 
Don't say, it's my life is too far gone. I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many things wrong. The best time, the best time to give your heart to the Lord and to meet the Lord is right now. The best time to start doing the right thing and walking with the Lord is right now. My wife and I led my uncle to the Lord. And when we left the hospital shortly after, within probably 10 minutes, he died. We, with God's direction, snatched a soul from hell. Now, that's significant, isn't it? Did he have time to do anything for God? Nope. Didn't make any difference. He acknowledged the Lord. And he just barely did that. But I'll take what I can get. Like when my, my grandson was six years old, I came home. And, he's, and Cindy said, tell Grandpa, you, you gave your heart to the Lord today. I guess he was, I don't know where he was when that happened. But I said, well, Jordan, I want to hear about it. I said, well, Jordan... Tell me about that. How did you know Jesus came into your heart? And he said, he goes like this. He said, well, I felt a little bump. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll take that. Okay. I wish some people would feel even that. I felt a bump. Okay. I, I'm good with that. And so this woman left. But before that, she met the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. When that woman came from that bar, came up the street, she was doing the same thing that woman at the well did. And guess who was sitting in the office waiting for her? Would you like to venture a guess? Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord of glory, who has time for every single person on the earth, no matter who they are or where they're from. I say amen this morning. I say yes and amen. I say if you don't know the Lord... If your well is not as it should be, I want to extend an invitation to you today. I want to ex extend an opportunity for you to find peace with God. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that. If you're not saved, you can be saved today. But if you need the living water to fill your well again. Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Not another day. Not another time. But today is the day. Oh Lord, speak to your people. I want everyone here to take a moment and drink of the waters of living life. Living water. Drink of the Spirit. 
Drink of the joy of the Lord. Let the peace of God and the joy of God fill your life and your will today. I pray for a cleansing for every person. In Jesus' name. I wonder if we could have the prayer team prayer team come up and I just really sense in my heart that the Lord wants to touch lives that issue that's troubled you that alienation that gnawing loneliness and emptiness that desire to come back and fellowship with the Lord and to sup with him As he knocks at the door of your heart, come back to him. And renew your relationship with the Lord. Or if there's an issue in your life that you're troubled with and you've struggled with, and you know that only God can touch you, I want you to give it to God today. And then take a fresh drink of the Holy Spirit the water of life and let God let God fill your well again today to overflowing in Jesus name